Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. In the evenings, the, uh, the training, the, the teaching that's sort of uh, just been coming out, it's been... Uh, I was thinking about this because it has had like a real sort of a, a profound effect on my own life, on my own sort of walk with God. I've found that it has uh, really sort of tested and challenged me in ways to, to sort of enhance and to, uh, to rise up in myself, to sort of walk a path, to walk a more deliberate path for God. And uh, I, I just... I felt like the tempo has been raised in a sense. There's, been, there's a different tempo in the place, and the, particularly in the evening, particularly in that sort of that place of ministry. There's, there's a different tempo. The messages have teeth in a, in a different way, different kinds of teeth. Not the teeth, there's not teeth in the morning messages, but it's like a different kind of teeth, like canine teeth or something like that, like a wolverine's teeth. And they have a teeth that just sort of bite into you, and you're like, whoa, you leave with sort of this fresh sense of empowerment, that you can walk that path that you always wanted to walk that you sort of never felt like you had it sort of all the bits all the gears didn't quite go in a place and yet there's just been this this change this up of tempo and part of it is because we, we've been calling it training but I actually think in a large degree it's been retraining there's actually been a retraining going on because there's a lot of sort of natural pathways our our minds sort of take us on like uh, the these sort of just these natural sort of ways in which we go about things, think about things, sort of deliberate upon things. And I really think that it's like these evening messages have been rewiring the motherboard. There's been a rewiring going on. In Judges 17.6, it says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their eyes. And you know what? In our walk with God, there are times where we, we don't have an example. We don't realize necessarily how to sort of navigate situations. So we, we fill in the gaps. Who's ever filled in the gaps before? Who's ever sort of just sort of made it up a little bit as you go along, freelance a little bit? And there are times after a while where you do that and it's actually very difficult to tell the difference between the dark lines and the bits where we've shaded in. We can't really tell the difference between what it was that God ordained and what it was that we filled in. And so it it sort of hampers us, It, it hamstrings us. In, in the way that we walk as Christians uh, and how we outwork our faith. And so I really believe this series has, and, and just this evening message tempo, has been one to really challenge that. One to really sort of hit, you know, point us on the nose and it, it, it just sort of change the attitude in which we sort of walk as Christians, as we, as, we, as we live our lives. It challenges those interpretations which we overlay upon our faith. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray before we get going tonight. God, I just thank you for this place. I thank you for your presence in this place. We give you glory for who you are and what you plan to do this evening. How you intend to change and to challenge our lives. Let our lives be open. Let it be like the, the field that has been plowed and is ready to be planted and to see a great harvest. In the name of Jesus, I pray over every single one of us that we will have ears to hear what you have to say this night. In the name of Jesus... Amen. Amen, amen. Well, tonight, I want to talk to you about the will of God and our relationship to it. The relationship that we have. The will of God is, it is this, it's this divine authority. 
There's just this authority in his will. He wills it to happen. There's a purpose. There's a power behind his will. His will is sort of, it's something that just has so much strength to it, so much momentum to it. And, and, and I think in ourselves, in, in, our, in our own lives, we, we, we have our faith, and our faith is really, it's contextualized by the will of God. The will of God is what really sort of puts our faith into context, it, it, what allows us to understand what our faith is about and what the purpose of it is. And, 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 and God's will has this almost magnetic pull to it. it it draws us in it draws our lives towards him every one of us it draws our lives towards him and yet at the same time simultaneously it sort of repels the sin that clings to us as it draws us in it it repels that and and there's something so dramatic about the will of God something so empowering about the will of God and yet I know that many of us when we sort of really sort of think about it, and we think about it in those large sort of sweeping terms, it's, it's, it's dramatic and it's, and, and it's profound, and yet we struggle at times to frame ourselves within it, to, to relate to, to it, because there's, because there's God's will, and God's will is sort of over here, and it is profound and it is powerful, and yet we're kind of sometimes all the way over here, and we can kind of see it, but it's like a little bit abstract. It's sort of, it's the will of God and I don't really see how I fit within the will of God. The will of God is this massive, overriding, uh, this, this, this entity that has gone throughout all of time and I'm just little old me and I'm over here and we sometimes find a difficulty in framing ourselves within and yet there is something, God has, has given us uh, something to align ourselves with the will of God, something to make ourselves framed within that will of God, and that is righteousness. Righteousness aligns ourselves with the will of God. Righteousness is what takes the will of God and places us in context, frames us within it, and it gives us an alignment with what God is doing and where we are facing. There's a, a, and what it does, it makes it accessible. The the righteousness of God, it it takes that sort of abstract profoundness of the will of God and it makes it something that's accessible, something that is uh, something that we can grasp, something we can get hold of, something that that has meaning and purpose within our own lives, our our own sort of destiny, our own dreams sort of find a place, they sit within that uh, that the purposes and the will of God. It it, it all sort of finds an alignment. Uh, In Philippians 3 verse 9, It says, be found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And see, it's not about, righteousness is not about behavior and actions. We are are not righteous through our adherence to the law, to the Ten Commandments, or, or anything like that. It's, it's not about how we act and how we behave. That is not, that is not the, 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 the currency by which we find righteousness. Righteousness is much more about our orientation, the way that we are facing, than necessarily what we are doing. It is about our orientation, the stance in which we, we, we find ourselves, we position ourselves to open ourselves up to Christ. He does all of the hard work 
in approving us righteous. He does all of the hard work. I want to read to you from Romans 5. Uh, sometimes you read verses and you're like, why have I never read this before? And you probably have, but it just sticks out to you in different ways. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. His faith is accounted for righteousness who does not work. He does not work, but he believes in, that, uh, in Jesus who justifies the ungodly. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something profound? Something that, that tells us so much about righteousness that is almost counterintuitive. Because despite me saying that, despite us understanding in our heads that, that righteousness is about what Jesus did and not about what we did, yet we still have a difficult relationship with the term of righteousness. The, just the word of it has this, uh, it, it seems a little too much to live up to, right? If to, I, I've spoken to many people, colleagues, friends, who've invited to church, and, and they often use their lack of righteousness as a reason for them not being able to come, being excluded from the church community. The church is like, I don't have the righteousness. And, and, and there's this real sort of misunderstanding and way that we understand and communicate with the idea of it. It has a grandeur. The word is, just in itself, the word has a grandeur that is almost intimidating. Particularly when you find yourself wallowing in sin. When you find yourself in sin, the, the idea of righteousness, the idea of that's something that could be applicable to us, seems distant. And when I think of this, it reminds me of... Uh, uh, just a little account from when I was a boy, when I was maybe the same age as my uh, eldest son, Nathan, who's about sort of in primary four or five. Uh, he's in primary four. I was in primary four or five. I do know what year my child is in, uh, just in case. I see him every day. Uh, I think he's primary four. I better go and check that, actually. I'm double thinking myself on that one now. But uh, I was about four or five, and I, I remember that I, I reappropriated finances that were not given to me, which is a really sanitized way of saying I stole some money from my parents. My parents gave me some money for something for school, and I decided not to use it for school, and I would keep it for myself. And so I had this pound coin. And I, I, I didn't get pocket money or anything like that at that time, so I had this one pound coin, and it was in my pocket. And, 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 and I was like, I've got this money, and it's, it's a secret. My mum and dad don't even know I've got this money. And I said to my two younger brothers, I said, hey, boys, how do you fancy going on an adventure? And they said, show us our gold, because they were pirates. And uh, I showed them my money, and they're like, all right, let's go and do it. So we said, to, we got up one Saturday morning, and we said to our parents, I'm pretty sure we actually told them we were going to run away from home, but we were just checking that was okay with them. Uh, and, and so we said, we're going to run away from home. We're going we're gonna to go. And so we walked uh, round the corner to the newsagents, which was about as far as our world sort of extended at that time. And we went into this newsagent, and uh, I said to my brother, I said, all that you behold, all that you see, it is yours. And so they started going around the shop. And I went over to, to the sweets cabinet. And I, I didn't really have a really good sort of sense of the value of money. I, I knew I had a pound, and a pound seems pretty much a It was golden at the time, totally golden. It might as well have been a million pounds. But at the same time, I wasn't quite dumb enough not to realize that actually these sweets were pretty expensive. And 
and actually I might not have as much money as I thought. So I sort of made myself up to the counter, by which point my brothers are bringing piles and piles of sweets, all of the sweets that they could see in the shop and putting them up on the counter. And I am just sort of looking at this, sort of escalating out of control, and I'm beginning to realize that I might be a little bit out of my depth. I'm I'm watching, and as these piles begin to grow, it was a bit like the sin and iniquity of my own life was sort of being piled up on the counter in front of me. And I was watching it and being sort of drowned in this sense of shame and regret. And probably round about that time, back in my parents' house, as they were sitting there with their newspapers, drinking their tea, I imagine, because I wasn't there, that my mother looked up and said, Husband, did the boys say that they were running away from home? By which I expect that my father turned and said, I I believe so, old girl. And so, (laughs) around about that time as I'm watching this sort of, all of these sweets sort of become sort of piled up on the counter and realizing that the deep sinking sense of realization that, that whatever I had wasn't enough. And I just felt like the smallest you could possibly feel. I was eight years old at the time. I still remember the, just the sense of helplessness. And at that moment, that moment of like the greatest sense of helplessness, my father walked into the shop and he settled the account and he took us home. He walked us on the path home. And I cannot tell you, I don't think I've ever been so relieved to see my father in all of my life. At any point of my life, I cannot remember a time where I was like, he walked in at just, when I turned around, he was there and he rescued me and he settled the account that my life could not settle, that the, the, the resources I had wasn't enough, and yet he managed to settle that and take me on a path home. See, here's the thing about righteousness, right? When you turn and you step forth towards God, that is righteousness. You are every single step from that point of transgression is righteousness. Righteousness, we think of it as being like we have like this balance beam in our head. Like there's some sort of uh, tipping point that, right, okay, well, we're going to turn this way and we'll, we'll do a few good acts. And then sooner or later, ah, now I'm righteous again. But it doesn't work like that. We are righteous from the moment that we turn around from the second that we reorientate ourselves and begin to step every single step in our lives from that point forward is accounted righteous. Amen? It is righteous from every single point that we step forward. There is no rebalancing of the scales. That's false. That's something that the pride within us tells us. Oh, I'm not righteous until I do A, B, C, and D. No, 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 no. That makes no difference whatsoever. A, B, C, and D might be great, they might be bad. You are not righteous because of the alphabet. You are righteous because of Christ upon a cross. Amen? Amen. You turn, and he is there. And immediately, the benefits of righteousness are afforded to us. They are available to us from that very moment. In 1 Peter 3, verse 12, it is written, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'm going to get a volunteer, a prop, someone who looks like God. <laughs> Andy, you do great. Come up here, your highness. Now let's just assume, wow, he's tall. <laughs> oh God, yeah, looking up. Right, so if this is you, just face me. 
Well, no, 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 don't, don't do that. It's like closing yourself off. Be open, be like God, man. Not too much. Don't ham it up here. Don't ham it up, all right? And so, like, this is, this is God, but this is, say, I'll be generous, us 50% of the time because we sleep quite a lot, right? And any way in which I am talking to, every time I pray, every time I shout out, I am just hearing my own sort of echo because God is behind me. God, his eyes and his ears are not towards where I am facing. I am facing all the way over here. And so he is all the way back there. And, and his, his face is against me. We think of that as being like, oh, he's really angry. He's going to try and thwart me. It's just I'm facing over here and he's, he's against me because I'm not facing where his will is. That I'm, not, I'm not in a sense of righteousness. And yet, I can turn. I can turn. And at that point... At that point, is it awkward? <laughs> Come on, man up. <laughs> As I look at him, his eyes are upon me. His ears are open to me. I am orientated towards him. My God sees me. He sees me and I see him. As I speak, he hears me because I am orientated to him. When I'm over here, it's against me. Because we're not facing in the same direction. But when I face towards him, when I turn in my heart, I see him and he sees me. Amen. Give this guy a round of applause. The relationship is restored. When I turn within myself, the relationship is restored. Every step there on in is on the path of righteousness. Psalms 23.3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. My soul needed restored. And as I turned around, he restored it. And every step along that path is one of righteousness. Amen. It says, it says in, 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 in Luke 15.7 that uh, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. One sinner repents. There is joy. There is rejoicing in heaven. Pastor Kevin did a message a couple of months ago and where he just so eloquently spoke about just, just repentance and how it's really, it's just a change of heart. It's just a change of opinion. It's just turning. It's just the turning. And as any one of us just turns in ourselves, there is rejoicing in heaven because it is a powerful thing to be reorientated towards God, to find yourself in that place of alignment, in that walk of righteousness. And turning from wickedness is all that it takes. Just the turning I've got to tell you about Zacchaeus. You guys know who Zacchaeus is, right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a short, he was a short tax collector. He was a pretty miserable character. He was a bit of a, bit of a wag, a little bit of a crim. And, and, and so he was not well liked. Loved by few, hated by many, feared by all. But, but he one day heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he decided himself that was something that he couldn't miss. So he went to where all the crowds were. But as I said, he was short, so he couldn't see. So necessity being the mother of invention, he found a tree and climbed it. And he must have been like the only one who did that because when Jesus is walking along the road, he sees a short guy in a tree and he points him out and says, you, sir, I am going to your house 
and you are going to feed me. And we'll pick this up in uh, Luke 19, verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He was a tax collector, which in that time basically meant he was a gangster. And he just took people's stuff and he intimidated them. And when you read that, there's two ways to read that. You can read that and think, wow, what he did there was, that was his, his attempts at righteousness. That's my attempt at righteousness. Oh, I've met Jesus. I better start doing good stuff. That is not what's happened here. Jesus saw him. He had climbed a tree. There had something that had turned within that man's heart where he recognized it wasn't enough just to go there. It wasn't enough just to stand in a crowd. I have to get up into a tree. I have to see this man. There's something on the inside of me that has turned. And when Jesus saw him, this was not an attempt at righteousness. It was a response because something in righteousness, it doesn't, it's not that we then do nice things and good things afterwards. It's that becomes the overflow of our heart. Those actions were ones because he had been so profoundly changed by his meeting with Christ. The change where that Christ had seen him and had said, I am coming to your house. I'm welcoming myself into your life. Had such a profound effect upon this man's life that he had this fresh insight. He was reborn. He was a new creation. And so his actions reflected that. What have I got all this stuff for? What have I got all these ill-gotten gains for? I've got to get rid of it. Because this isn't my life anymore. This doesn't represent me anymore. He wasn't attempting righteousness. This was not his go at righteousness. This was his response. This is what happens when you turn and you begin that path. And this is us every day. This is us every time we reorientate ourselves to God. Every time we measure the wind and I realize that that our backs are not to it, that that something is amiss and we turn once more into it. There's, There's a fresh gust that fills our sails, that our, the spirit man on the inside is, is, is built up and there is fresh challenge and a fresh idea and a fresh identity. And the tide within us rises such that we can meet that challenge. I often think that just generally we, we see God's will as, as being like this very linear tightrope, one that you either balance on or fall off. And I think that's why so many of us struggle with, that's why righteousness becomes like an inaccessible concept. Because we see it as being this balancing beam of like trying to stay on, on path. But I want you to change your perspective here tonight and see God's will as being more like the current in the ocean. It's the current that, that, is, that is, has a pull 
and it has a momentum. And, and in some places it's, it's, it's obvious and powerful. And in others it is, it is subtle yet intense. And, 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 it, and it pulls us and it takes us. It has, a, it has a power and a strength that it guides us and leads us into the place of destiny, into the place of dreams, and into the t- place of purpose that God has ordained for our lives. Yeah. It covers the ocean. It spreads out in every area. There is no area where God's will cannot be found. The other thing is that it's the tide. It's easy and it's natural. Have you ever been to the swimming baths and, and got in the rapids? You just find that sweet spot and it just sort of, it just sort of, it just carries you around. Just sit there for like, like half an hour. It just carries you along. It's easy. It's natural. In Matthew eleven thirty, for my, capital M, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's will doesn't crush us doesn't drown us under the weight of expectation. Sure, we will go through. You know what? There are times where you will go through storms. There are times where the waves might get high, but, but his burden is light. His yoke is easy because his will, it propels us along. Yeah. It carries us along. There is an ease when we find ourselves in the will of God because there is grace. There is a grace that transports us. And despite the circumstances, regardless of the weather, the will of God propels us forward. And you see, it's the, it's the turning into it that we struggle with. To submit to that flow. We get caught up in our own ideas from time to time. Our own ambitions, our own opinions. And they, they kind of get us beached. I expected it to be like this. This is what I thought it was going to be like. And, and almost in that sort of thought, we, we sort of turn out of it and, and we dig ourselves in. And the, and, the, and the water changes and we find ourselves beached upon a, a, upon a lost and foreign land. And we get entangled in the undergrowth. And we get stuck in the sand. And we get broken upon the rocks. And yet, we can still turn and wade back into the waters And find ourselves in the will of God again. We can turn. There is no foreign land where you cannot find the will of God again. Because it just takes a turning on the inside. Just takes us to turn our lives towards him. The little thoughts, the little attitudes. They're the the real kicker. They're the ones that, that take us out of his will that isolate us from his presence. I was thinking, it's, it's like if you're walking along with a group and your eye gets drawn by something and you sort of, your gaze sort of goes over to the side and as you sort of look over there, your feet stop moving. And then when you sort of catch yourself and you turn around, the group has, mm. the group's moved off. And you're now over here and they're all over there. And you know what? It's at that point where distraction very easily can turn into a diversion. Because now you're on your own. You, think, you, you see yourself being over here and then being over there. And now where do I go? Now where's the path? Now where, and, and those little attitudes, those little, those little thoughts just distract us. 
They take our eyes off the path and we see this sort of distance, that distance from the presence, that distance from God. But that way of looking at it, the way I've just outlined it, which I think is something that is familiar in terms of thought, it's a lie. It's not true. Because you know what? When you turn around, the Spirit is there. When you turn around, it hasn't moved. He hasn't gone anywhere. You turn around and there he is. And he stands by your side. And he leads you on. And here's the real grace. This is the grace of that turning. Is that you don't catch up. He carries you forward. You don't, you don't catch up. You don't have to make up for lost time. His grace carries us forward. Can I get somebody on keys? Oh, you again. <laughs> I just want to close just by sharing just a testimony of my, my own life, that own, my own sort of turning point. I, I grew up in church, and yet when I was in my sort of mid-teens to, to very early 20s, I, I think I just took my eyes off the road and just saw a separation. And I, I found myself over here, and I saw God over there, and I just, there was no, there was no connect. I didn't, the, the righteousness that would have aligned me, I just, I just never turned. And so over a number of years, I just, I kind of searched for it on my own, but, but it was all on my terms. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a search of submission. It was more one of convenience. And I got myself into all sorts of mess and just felt messed up on the inside. I I carried on with sort of relationships that that did nothing to build me up. And and then all they did is actually just tear me apart. I I had relationships where as those relationships got to conclusions, it was as if I saw myself, the reflection of myself. And I began to see myself as I really was and, and it wasn't the person who I wanted to be. It wasn't the person that I had thought that I was going to be when, when I had grown up in church and I, and I, and I, and I had had words spoken over me and, and I, I had a belief and, and, and a sense of identity in God and I looked at that reflection and that was not the reflection that looked back. It was a different face and it was one that I didn't like and it was one that I didn't relate to and it was one that just made me sick upon the inside and I, I found myself just in this despair and just this moment where I just was like I cannot go on like this this is, this is not I am going down I think I saw like the path that I was going down and where that was going to lead to and the person that I just knew I was forming into and was like I can't I can't do that life already seems like it's over and I'm 20 years old I feel like it's already been mapped out for me. I can see it. And the guys 10, 20 years older than me who sit in the pub that I am going to turn into. And I just got down on my knees and I was like, God, I, I know I've tried to do this on my own terms so many times, but now I'm doing it on yours. Everything that I held dear, I count it all as lost genuinely count it all as lost it means nothing it is without value because I understand that it is currency that's going to take me to a place I don't want to get to and so I turned within my heart when I say I turned 
let me be clear. I didn't do anything good. I didn't do like a good thing. When I told you about Zacchaeus, he did what he did after he had turned, after God had seen him, after he had opened his ears and seen him and put him upon him. And so I turned and that's all I did. Opened myself up and cried out to God. And just immediately he was there. Like as if he'd never, like as if he'd been there the whole time. And I, I don't even say that. It's like I felt lost. And in the moment that I turned my life, it was like he was there the whole time. And he led me back in a church, the same church that I'd grown up in. And he put me back into a relationship with people that I had cut off from my life. And they built me up. And I remember a youth leader saying to me that just, I, I remember just praying and prophesying. And it seemed really bizarre that like weeks, just weeks from coming back into church that I, would, that I would pray and prophesy for another person. He said, all that stuff was on the inside. It had already been deposited. It's just blooming. It's just flourishing. It's there the whole time. You don't have to catch up. God is starting you afresh. He's starting you anew. His eyes are upon you. He sees you. And just from that moment, he took me, he put me in a place of relationship, put me in a place of church, and inspired within me, put within me his plans and purposes, set within my heart a desire to see other young men, other young women not have to go down those paths, to stand up and speak a word that would redirect them, that would draw them back, have a heart for the lost, to have a heart after his own heart. All of those things are response to righteousness not an attempt in Matthew 5 verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled in other words those who turn to God shall be blessed and fulfilled thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.